Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Womenhood and International Relations Podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Bonilla. And for today's episode, we will be addressing COP26 Part 3. This is the last installment of the mini-series that we have launched here in the podcast on this United Nations conference that took place between October 31st and November 12th in Glasgow, Scotland. And if you want to learn more about what this conference is about, what were the different pledges made, the different criticisms, protests, and more, I invite you to check the two other uh, previous episodes that we have recorded part one, part two up on COP26 for you to learn more. And also we have added to all of these episodes recommended links for you to explore further. As we all know, uh, I always remind everybody to do their own research because we are still living in a post-truth era. We are still living in the era of big tech where as some of you already know, some uh, searchers and uh, you know availability of resources, news articles, and more is limited depending on our geographic area. So always, I recommend to do your own research and you know contrast all the information about what's happening in your own country. Um, I put myself and place myself in a geographical location. I'm currently in Mexico and I will soon be traveling to Puerto Rico and I know that I may not have access to some articles that I'm having access here. So I'm always putting in the description box the recommended links for you to explore further, but I know that there are more out there. So just keep in mind that, that there may be some things that are falling through the cracks, but we may not be able to access to because we don't have a clean um, you know search um, items unless you go to the dark web and I still don't know how to do that so <laughs> I'm still like a Google kind of girl um, anyway so without further ado let's explore um, this last installment so I just want to talk to you about my process when I was researching for this episode because I find it very funny. Um, I really wanted to focus the COP26 part 3 episode on gender, like the gender perspectives, because we have covered in the first uh, part, you know, the unequal power relations between states. In the second part, the unequal power relations between people and nations. And in this specific part, I was you know, going to go full out on the gender perspective. But something happened while I was doing the research was like, we need to talk about energetics. And I know that this may sound very cuckoo for a lot of you. And you will be like, Natalia, like you have gone very high. Are you smoking something or something? <laughs> um, just giving a very big disclaimer. If you are not into quantum physics, if you don't care about vibrations, about energy, about, you know, spirituality or anything, then probably this episode is not going to be for you. Um, if you are keen to explore, then this episode is definitely for you. Um, because I find that sometimes when we are addressing politics or international relations, we do so from a very um, segmented mentality where we cannot go beyond because then it stops being international relations and it starts becoming something, you know, chaotic that we cannot, you know, 
uh, control or we cannot comprehend. But it's like when we are trying to see the gender perspectives on politics or in any realm of international security or human rights or, you know, international law, sometimes mentalities clash and people that are full into that field may not find value in incorporating gender perspectives. Something that, for example, people in gender studies are so open to see the gender uh, perspectives on anything because that's their field of work, then that supposes a big challenge. And at this point, I wonder if we are ready to engage in the mixing waters, you know, mixing fields. Um, because, you know, we have been ingrained or taught in a certain way and our context, our realities, the information that we have at our disposal is, is variable, you know, like what I have access to, you may not and vice versa, you know, so um, taking that in consideration, there's a quote by the Matrix, um, specifically the Oracle, that said, we cannot see past the choices we don't understand. And that has become, like, for me, an eye-opener on many levels, on my personal life, but also on my professional life. Because when, whenever I was doing feminist theory workshops on IR, like, people were saying, like, ah, oh, that's not possible. Like, why are you bringing the women issue? Why are you bringing the gender issue? Like, this is a neutral field and the same with journalism like you know we have to be objective to be good journalists like what is objectivity to you are you really neutral are your media industry or media companies neutral if so how because they all have an agenda do you agree with that agenda or you don't i mean because you know when you become objective then you stop being a subject. So is the industry that you're in dehumanizing you? You know, these are very hard questions and not everybody wants to answer them. And not everybody wants to understand the question itself, not even the answer, the question. Like, why are you bringing this question? And then, you know, we are in cancel culture and people cancel you if you start making these questions. Anyway, um, so... This matrix quote, um, you know, was playing over and over when I was working on this episode because it was like, of course, like protesters cannot understand the lack of urgency or the disdain or the corruption or whatever you want to call it from negotiators, governments, you know, enterprises at COP26 and vice versa, you know, the COP26 diplomats, negotiators, delegations, etc. Some of them were looking at protesters like you're just too desperate, like you are, you know, painting this grimsome view of the world, you know, we are making you know, changes, this will take time, so chill out, you know, like, this is very interesting, and it's not that one or the other are right or wrong, it's just where are the lenses placed, 
what each of these groups believe in and what's the picture that they are painting on the world. So, in a sense, if protesters from the get-go are calling out all the bullshit and saying that it's a failure, the COP26 or all these big conferences on climate change are a failure, etc., and then the deal comes afterwards and is considered to be a failure, then I have to ask the question, like, is this a self-fulfilling prophecy? Because we know that the voice is very powerful and whatever we say, you know, energetically, we can talk about chakras here, but I don't know if you're interested into that, but, you know, in terms of, you know, energetics, what we declare, the voice is very powerful. And if all the time we're saying that, you know, is a failure, is a failure, is a failure, then actually it becomes a failure. Then does that bring happiness? Does that make us feel powerful, important to be, you know, having reason, you know, like to be right? Because we said that it was going to happen and then suddenly it happened. So we were right, you know, like, does that bring a sense of happiness? I'm not saying this to backlash the environmental movement because I am part of the environmental movement, but I also can see what people do with words because I've lived it myself with the Ser Mujer in Latin America documentary map and how it poisoned me up to the point that I'm still working on CPTSD therapy. I'm, I'm still dealing with a lot of that. Um, and the work of Masaru Emoto, for all of you that are like, you know, Natalia is talking about weird stuff. Um, there's a scientific um, study done on the impact of words on water and uh, you know we have seen these videos on you know the vibration and music and plants and you know when we say bad words or you know horrible words like hate or you know murder or you know like bad words the water can you know become dirty being exposed to that type of, you know, water, of those type of words. And vice versa, if we say positive words, whatever it is, like they are carrying high vibration, it doesn't matter the language, I'm saying in English because the podcast is in English, but you can say in your language, positive vibration words, etc. like love or peace or you know, harmony or balance or, you know, whatever it is, you can write it in the language that you're from and the water will start making crystals. And this is the work of Masaru Emoto. I invite you to check the, the documentary, The Messages of Water. And he also has a book and even a movement and website and more. You can list it down below on the description box. But this work taught me a lot on my previous documentary map of Ser Mujer en Latin America because I couldn't understand why I was feeling like I was feeling and how other people that were doing feminist work 
were feeling the way that they were feeling. Like, yes, we are making strides, but everything is a struggle. And every time, you know, we feel lack of energy and all the time we feel frustrated, angry and, and you know, like, don't talk to me today, you know, like we are very like, <laughs> um, so what I found is, of course, if we all the time are speaking about, you know, men are the enemy or, you know, like patriarchy must fall and women are all the time being victims. And, you know, we're always subjected to this type of vibration by the words that we say, but also by the media and the culture that surrounds us. Then, of course, we're going to start feeling bad because that's like what happens to plants when you put them a specific kind of music and then they dry out. And if you put another kind of music, then they grow beautifully you know people forget that we are more than 60 70 percent composed of water we are water like our bodies like this is scientifically proven i'm not even like saying like oh natalia believing weird stuff like no no, no I'm do- i've done a lot of research on water and i even created a fest for the podcast called women and water and i will continue doing that those for uh, that for 2022 but I love water. <laughs> but I started resonating with that message the moment that I started doing sound healing baths. And, you know, the sound itself can, you know, create flow within your body or it can create tension. And uh, again, <laughs> I started recording very early. So I didn't have this, but yeah, sorry for the interruption. I don't have a pad of wall, so this is it. Um, You can say that that's a vibration too. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so, so what's very interesting about that specific scientific study is that what we are exposed to, our context, our belief systems, our emotions, they all are energy. And my point in sharing all of this is that I wonder if we are creating unaligned energy systems. Because one thing is to have, you know, the mainstream and the alternative, which kind of, you know, balance each other out, you know, like that's part of like human nature, you know, like that's part of since the beginning of time, you know, you have people that were advocating something and there were people that were advocating something else, you know, like very polarity kind of things. And We can say, you know, the light and the shadow, they all need themselves because too much light can, you know, blind people and too much shadow can, you know, drown people into misery, you know, like it can go that route. But I wonder in here, in this specific context of the COP26, if the protesters were aligned with a pessimistic and doomed view of the world, then the negotiators were with the yes we can we are working for climate change but it's not so easy because there are many you know politics economics trade 
you know, many things that we'll have to change, but then, you know, we kind of become too desperate because we are working here and we are getting paid to represent our country. So we cannot be too emotional about it because once again, the structure of the place that you're in, like you cannot in certain spaces, right? You know, like there are protocols on behavior and that's something that I also bring here for you to explore further um, because it's like you kind of go to a palace of whoever is on charge and, you know, chiming and paint walls and, you know, like become too like dramatic, drama queen, etc. because some bodyguards will take you out because you are not, you know, um, how is it, behaving accordingly. These United Nations conferences inside, they also have protocols and they also have behaviors. And we can say that could be like mainstream and then the protesters are the alternative, you know, like are very passionate, very like, you know, creating pressure and demanding change and all that. Do we know, do we care about the mental, emotional health of the people that are inside those talks? Or are we framing them as all, they are all bad? (laughs) They're all bad. They don't care about the environment. They don't care about climate change. They don't care about anything. Like that's very simplistic and very narrow view of the world because these delegations, they may not be perfect. They may have people that are there just for the ride and just to have some photo ops, etc. But most of these delegations, and when you start looking at the names and you start researching about them, these are scientists. These are people that are ministries of environment. These are people that are actually, you know, they're not sending, you know, people that are not interested in the environment or climate change they're they're sending people that are actually working on this perhaps not as passionately or as specifically um behaving like very invested in you know creating urgency but if we start looking at the part one and part two of these uh, miniseries, we can see that there are unequal power relationships and you can be a very passionate pay- person and, you know, have a title at a specific context and go as part of a delegation and still be shut off or still be unheard by those that are in power, those that have the means, those that you know, call the shots or tell you that you only have two minutes to speak or, you know, you can be pressured to adopt some policies, but then your considerations or your, you know, um, ways of living or your values, your belief systems will be impacted if you agree. And that's why you don't agree. I mean, we don't know. I mean, I don't know. Do do you like? Do you know what's happening inside of every all these delegations in the COP twenty six? 
what I'm trying to say here is that titles, delegations, negotiations, whatever it is, they are not exempt of humanity. They may repress their emotions. They may be taught to, you know, privilege reason over intuition or over, you know, survival or anything. But are they all stripped of humanity that we can all place them in a, in a place of their old bag? Because they didn't agree with our wishes. Once again, I am an environmentalist myself. Like, I advocate, I am a very, like, I don't say it too much because, you know, I focus more mostly on women's issues and, and, and women's rights and not necessarily on, you know, environment. Because once again, if I start talking about the environment, people will start looking at me very phony. You know, like, I'm also subjected to this type of behavior. Like, I'm not saying, you know, I'm exempt. The, the patriarchal mindset is very ingrained in our culture and in business-wise. Like, when I started doing, you know, Ser Mujer en Latin America documentary map, people were like, so you want to talk about violence, but you also want to talk about gender equality, but you also want to talk about gender peace. Like, girl, no, you know, you cannot mix the three. Like, you either focus on violence or you focus on peace, but you cannot talk about the three of them. Like, what's wrong with you? Pick a lane, you know, like, people tell you and push you to to just be one thing and and it's very frustrating because we're all not all bad but returning to the protester side um i find it very interesting this lack of urgency that they were seeing from from governments etc it's like it's not the same to ask a person to change their ways than to ask a country of hundreds of millions of people to change according to your own vision of what the world should look like etc and then if we go to the international community realm we can you know start seeing reasons why that's not happening like we can say that there are no good leaders or that the leadership of the united nations has weakened and that's why you know there's not more commitment no more pressure between you know countries to align for the same vision etc we can say that the good leaders or the great leaders of the 1950s or the end of the 19th century we're not here we don't have the leaders today that feed that pattern yeah we can also you know start seeing the cracks that we have shared here in this podcast not only from the crack in the united nations or the great fracture as uh, and secretary general antonio Guterres said but also the polycentric spheres of power where as we are advocating for let's stop white supremacy let's become you know free from this colonial mindset let's you know put a stop 
to imperialistic ventures, etc. And then we start seeing these spheres of power that are not, are not even state-based, that are even non-actors and non-governmental actors' spheres of influence that get things done, that move the needle for X, Y, Z plays without any accountability or with accountability to the members that pay them. But that's too complex to explore because it's easier to just blame states. States are guilty <laughs> of climate change. Forget about the military industry or the military industry complex, the private contractors or all that, that are one of the world's most largest polluters. But we cannot talk about them on COP26 because that's not even on the table. This is the first time in 30 years that, you know, the, the COP conferences put in a document that, you know, like very literal that we need to change and phase out from fossil fuels and, you know, release the methane and stop doing um, anything, activity related to, you know, carbon and, and methane use. And 30 years for this big phrase to be included in the Glasgow Climate Pact. We need to speed up the pace of climate action. But then we want to speed up all at the same time. Or at least that's what we want states to do. Because the earth cannot wait 10, 20 years. You know, like the earth or our generation. or future generations. Because as I can recall, like the system, the solar system, you know, like planets are there. And we know that there are, there is life in these planets, but you know, they're not getting shared on, you know, our textbooks and our educational, um, you know, media, etc., because they don't want to scare the shit out of us. But there's life in other planets. Maybe different than ours, but there's life in other planets. Yes, that they were once, you know, a livable sphere like the Earth, perhaps. I don't know much about that, but <laughs> I love astronomy. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm not gonna go that whole. <laughs> But is it our generation that cannot wait? Because the earth changes. Now are we afraid that the earth may die? Or are we afraid that we are accelerating that the earth will die? Which, which is a valid fear. But then is this the fear a response that will get people to act? if that's not their value system. And this is very important because for those of you that are living in democracies where you get to elect officials, people in power, 
where you can advocate for political representation of women or people, etc. are the candidates that are presenting themselves to the elections, upholding the values for a sustainable or regenerative vision of life. Do we even care? Do we want them to have that stance? Or are we just looking to take out the president in charge because we don't like him or we don't like her and whoever comes is better than this one? <laughs> like, like what happened in the United States with Trump and Biden. It's like people didn't vote necessarily for Biden. They voted to take Biden out, to, to, to take Trump out, sorry. And then when political candidates present themselves to the elections and then they go the environmental route, then they have so many backstabbers that it, they're like, no, you're phony. No, you know, you need to stick to the leadership part. Like you're not strong if you're only taking care of nature. Like who do you believe you are? Is this a sign too of the segmentation that I mentioned before, this patriarchal mindset, like we cannot, <laughs> you know, it cannot be something different. I remember the first time that I voted in Puerto Rico for governor elections was in 2008. And I was just fresh out of my high school and I had my carnet and there were five, four or five um, candidates. And it was one that I really listened to him and I was like, I want him to become the governor. Like, he didn't have any administrative experience. He founded a different party just specifically for that election. His name was Rogelio Figueroa and he had this party with the coqui, which is our national frog. I don't know if that's the name frog because it's very tiny, but it's like a frog type animal. Um, and he, he said that the, the party was uh, Puerto Ricanos por Puerto Rico. That was the, the political party that he founded. And it was all orange. <laughs> and he, he appeared on all the debates talking about, you know, facing out of fossil fuels, engaging with solar energy, you know, moving the needle for, um, you know, like sustainable ways of living, agriculture, like, and he was a black man, a very tall black man. And I even interviewed him after he lost the election, but um, for a specific uh, report on the Center for Investigative Reporting in Puerto Rico, the CBI. Anyway, um, interestingly, he didn't win. He was very mocked, like mocked all over the, the board. Yes, racism played a part here he was so mad like how can you talk about you know saving the birds and saving the, the trees and you know eolic energy and solar energy when we need to talk about the economy we need to talk about politics and he's like he's talking about that he's <laughs> just it's a different way of living it's a new type of economy and perhaps he was very advanced for the times. And, you know, now if he presents himself or anybody presents themselves, you know, including this, which was what happened in the last election of 2020, 
you know, we had two candidates that were advocating for sustainable economy and they were doing so, you know, coming from the land. Eliezer eh, Molina and um, um, how you said, peep uh, uh, candidate too. How we engage with people that are representing our state system. What are the expectations that we have on them? Then, and then, are our expectations representative of all our population expectations? Because I wonder, for example, Brazil that has millions and millions of habitants and you know a very huge delegation that went to COP26, you know having to cater to the environmentalists and to the indigenous groups and you know listen to them and and i mean that's part of the population i'm not saying it, it is not but also governments need to cater to all types of people not only the environmentalists are we aware that for governments to listen to a new type of you know system or work or you know view of the world regenerative sustainable whatever you advocate there needs to be people that are committed to the change but people that are elected for those reasons too because then it's not aligned with what we want and is it what we want what everybody wants and are we canceling other people out for you know eating meat or you know using plastics or are we are we creating the same environment that we are fighting against <laughs> I was listening to this um, talk by uh, Matias de Stefano who is like uh, remember he's like that's the title that he uses he remembers past lives and ancient civilizations he even has like some documentaries i think for gaia or like i don't know like a streaming platform i can list it down below in the description box for you to check it out and he was saying in an interview um for a spanish uh media platform called mindalia mindalia tv he was uh he was asked if humans can survive without eating meat because you know we need to advocate for a plant-based diet <laughs> and then he said something like i understand that there are calls for a sustainable way of eating and a healthy way of of eating but not all bodies have evolutionized the same and some bodies still nowadays need to eat meat not because they you know mentally you know want to choose meat it's just because their body has not evolutionized the same as others 
in other countries, you know? So, I mean, it was an interesting take because it was easy to just fall like, yeah, plant-based food is the best and, you know, like we need to eat all plants and that's the best, etc. And he's like, yeah, but we have not all evolutionized the same. And we can talk about past lives and, you know, spirituality, soul journeys and body's journey and all that, but it's it's interesting take. I, I do remember a documentary that Leonardo DiCaprio did. I think it was the 11th hour and he was with um, the ministry, the minister of, I think the environment of India was sitting with her and he was asking her why India was not making more strides to, you know, fight climate change. And then she said, you know, how can you say to Indian population, you cannot have air conditioning, you cannot have, you know, the luxury of developed nations, because now developed nations are asking you to stop what you're doing. to stop wanting the lifestyle that they once enjoyed. I mean, we can stay here talking so much about this, um, but I just wanted to place these, you know, scenarios to perhaps broaden a bit this view on, are we being coherent with the words, with the actions, with the belief systems that we have? Are we aware of the belief systems that we have? that yes, we want to engage in sustainable living, yes, it sounds pretty to engage in environmental fight and all that, but should we address it through violence? Because that's the language that the negotiators or the scientists or the governments know. And then get frustrated when they meet us with violence too. You know, like law of attraction, you attract what you are, you know, we are vibrating at the same level in order to match it. But then are you fighting the system and then receiving a backlash from the system? Are you feeding the system by fighting it? Which is something that we explore here in feminist theory applied to IR in the workshops that we do in the Spanish language. Like, that's a common question. It's like, it's not the same to advocate to smash a patriarchy on the streets. And then you ask protesters, like, what will happen if one day el patriarcado se cae? What will you do? <laughs> oh, I don't know what will happen, but it will be a better place. How do you know? Because there's no patriarchy. How do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Patriarchy is a mindset. It's not even, you know, this big monster that is like, you know, your David, you know, pointing the freaking, you know, stone to throw at Goliath. Like, this is not it. <laughs> it lives in your mind. It lives in hierarchy and separation and division. I don't know if we are very advanced to see past the division because we thrive in it, because our cultures have taught us to thrive in division, in hierarchy, to become so bedazzled by the titles of the people that we speak to or to speak with 
oh, that's the director of that specific center or, you know, that specific brand is so amazing, etc. Because that's constructed. It has been taught and ingrained in our mindset, not even from this life, but also from the DNA. There are studies, psychological studies of how, you know, biases are inherited. They're not even you choosing to have a bias like <laughs> or you being taught consciously that you have a bias like we inherit biases and if we want to smash the patriarchy without any system to replace it then it's more probable that we will go back to what we know because that's comforting that's safe humans do not like uncertainty and all these calls of we need to act now climate action now etc based on fear-mongering campaigns or based on, you know, like doomed scenarios. Like if we don't act now, then probably by 2030, our islands will completely vanish. We will drown. We will like die, etc. Then we are falling trap into the realist theory. We are falling trap into the self-fulfilling prophecy. Because we are not using the same time, the same energy, the same actions to create something new. Because we are using it to feed the odd system, the old system. Asking the old system that is already crippling and already dying to reform itself. Instead of using that energy to build something new. Oh Natalia, but how are we going to build something new? Probably the moment that we start looking beyond states as the main actor that will solve all our existential issues. I'm going to stop here <laughs> because I think that we covered a lot. And I mean, these are conversations. Once again, I will share below um, some of the articles, recommended articles for here to explore. I want to mention that the Glasgow Climate Pact uh, was agreed upon uh, facing down fossil fuels and that there were many gender equality commitments made. So even in spite of all these you know, criticism to the COP26, there were many countries that advocated for change. Um, Bolivia committed to promote the leadership of women and girls, specific, especially indigenous Afro-Bolivian community and rural women through their participation in the design of sustainable development projects. Canada also um, pledged to support women's leadership and decision-making in climate action and ensuring that 80% of its 4.3 billion US dollar climate investments over the next five years 
target gender equality outcomes. Ecuador committed to strengthen leadership, negotiation, and decision-making capacities within women's organizations working on climate. Germany announced a new gender strategy under its International Climate Initiative, which will promote gender transformative approaches in international climate and biodiversity cooperation. Nigeria also expanding on its implementation strategy for their National Gender and Climate Action Plan. Sweden uh, announced new measures to embody and embed gender equality within all their climate action and integrate uh, gender equality perspectives in a work plan uh, at the core operations of the Swedish Environment Protection Agency. The UK set out uh, no, 223 million US dollars in funding um, to address dual challenges of gender inequality and climate change. Um, also, the US um, advocated to promote gender equity and equality in mitigating and responding to climate change as a strategic priority of the US government national strategy on gender equity and equality at least specifically in the case of the United States, 14 million US dollars for the Gender Equity and Equality Action Fund will be addressed toward gender-responsive climate programming. I will share below this information shared by Relief Web, posted on November 10th. Um, they feature more countries here. But yeah, um, wondering why we don't hear much about gender in environmental issues or we place women in environment and that's the easy way to go. Why there's so much separation on this? Why we cannot see it across the board? Why gender mainstreaming is so difficult? Have we perhaps looked at the genesis, the origins of each industry, each field of study and how from the moment that we start school and then go to college we get segregated and asked not to think in gender terms but to think neutral we need to be neutral and objective and nobody's thinking you know about this is too masculine or this is too feminine or this is too queer etc when we're talking about engineering a car or where we are constructing a building you know like why have we asked ourselves why and then we get frustrated if people don't see it, if people don't incorporate gender equality or gender mainstreaming, etc., it's so difficult. Of course, it is difficult. But it's the challenge, once again. That's the patriarchal mindset. Are we ready to deconstruct this mindset? Or are we playing a part in continuing this system? Because this system will not fall unless we take concrete action in our daily life to break free from it. We can ask the state to do it, but once again, why focus so much on the state that we give out the power of our subjectivity? Citizenship is more than just a card that just you know at 
a paper that says that you're a citizen of X country or a passport or right like do we see ourselves as subjects do we know the depth of our subjectivity or are we just going with the trend you know like right now everybody's talking about the cop 26 now we need to look for the earth and then after these two weeks what are we gonna do afterwards i'll just binge watch i don't know destruction movies from marvel or <laughs> like is that coherent is it i don't know to each one's each own <laughs> I am learning in this process so much and I want to thank you for being here, for supporting this project, for supporting this podcast. I know that it's very experiential and very weird and I just want to say thank you. So yeah, um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at womenhood underscore IR. Share with us your views. I've also added the survey for the 2021. Um, we have launched a survey to improve the podcast, to learn what your views are, what we should improve, what we should include, new interviews, topics that you want us to address. Please check it out. It doesn't take more than two, three minutes of your time and it will definitely make a huge impact on the offer that we provide here. Um, if you want to support the growth of this podcast, you can join us on Patreon. Please become a patron of us and help us support the growth of this platform. I will list all the links down below. Thank you so much for tuning in, for hearing all this madness. And yeah, looking forward to talking to you soon.